Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast. And as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Welcome to A Million Other Choices. I'm your host, Kim. Today's case is a bit controversial and may seem a bit timely to discuss what essentially boils down to personal rights over social responsibility. But I am not making any comments regarding the current state of anything in the world. This is just an interesting case with a sad ending, like all my stories. One of these days, I should probably pop in a happy ending just to keep things interesting, but not today. I'm going to try and tell the story in a balanced way that leaves room for alternative opinions. But I will warn you that I do have an opinion, and it will likely be obvious what that opinion is as we go. But I'll try to keep it balanced. No promises. This is the death of Ryan Lovett from Calgary.
On the night of March 2, 2013, Ryan Lovett was seven years old. There is very little background information on Ryan or his mother, Tamara, who was 44 in 2013. And you'll kind of see why as we get into this story. Tamara lived what can be described as an alternative lifestyle. Again, background information is very spotty and hard to track down, but what I did find is that Tamara had another son born in the early 1990s. And when she was pregnant with him, she was working as a legal assistant after getting a Bachelor of Arts. But feeling a bit burnt out, and in her words, quote, extremely suicidal, end quote. So she was battling crippling depression and did see a family doctor for the birth of her first son, but had had a bad experience with prescription medications for her depression and became skeptical of traditional medicine. So she quit the medication she was on, cold turkey, and turned to alternative medicine. That first son was living with his grandparents. No word on if that was maternal or paternal grandparents. However, she did keep a good relationship with her own father, Don, and again, there is no confirmation on if that was because of her depression or the circumstances of that arrangement that her oldest son went to live with his grandparents. In addition to alternative medicine, Tamara also lived in poverty after her legal assistant days. I can't confirm this, but I believe it had more to do with choosing a life of minimalism and a rejection of material possessions over not being able to find employment. It's just a feeling I have based on some of what I researched, but I can't confirm those facts other than she lived in what was described as a squalor department. When she got pregnant with Ryan, which would have been in 1996, she gave birth to him at home with a non-registered midwife which there is nothing odd about that part. Lots of mums give birth at home. But what was odd is that Ryan's birth was never registered. He didn't have a health care card or birth certificate. His birth and her afterbirth care was never followed up by a physician. She did, however, take him to a holistic clinic to be looked at by a chiropractor. And she believed that chiropractors had the same level of training as a doctor. Her father kept in regular contact with her. Ryan's father, Brian Jerome, lived a similar life but disappeared from Ryan's life when he was three and a half for unknown reasons. He was in the process of reconnecting with Ryan in 2013. Tamara's dad, Don Lovett, says of Tamara and Ryan's relationship, quote, She had an alternative lifestyle. We didn't always agree on matters. But with regards to Ryan... He said he was very healthy. I didn't see him in any kind of unhealthy situation. When he did stay at my house, she would bring his own cereal, granola, and soy milk. He was a very healthy, robust, confident young person. Tamara and Ryan were a unit. He loved his mother. He wanted to be with his mother. They were inseparable. It was a very respectful and loving relationship. Paul Hughes, who had been friends with Lovett since they went to university together, and with whom Tamara and Ryan lived for about six months while looking for their own apartment, said, quote, I only ever saw Tamara being a loving and caring mother to her child. I was somewhat envious of Tamara's capacity as a mother. I saw a very nurturing relationship between the both of them. Paul's son, Mac, 14, said him and Ryan were inseparable 
and would talk about his mom often but never said anything negative towards her. I didn't hear any negative comments about his mom whatsoever. Neighbors of Tamara's described her as a devoted and diligent single mom. However, Barbara LaPointe, who met Tamara and Ryan in 2011 when Barbara was working at the Café Bino on 17th Avenue, says she immediately took Ryan in under her wing and described her and Tamara's relationship as a friendship, but complicated. Barbara paints a picture of a woman and mother that you'd better not upset by being judgy towards her, or Barbara would risk losing access to Ryan, who she saw as an unhappy child that required protection. She says, quote, It was unimaginable that Tamara and Ryan could be living in such a state of poverty and suffering. He was an unhappy child. I vowed I would never, ever, ever, ever leave Ryan, and I didn't. End quote. She says that she would often buy groceries for them and that Ryan's well-being didn't seem to be important to Tamara. She described Tamara as not having a steady job, sometimes taking odd cleaning jobs, but that she was an artist. Ryan sometimes attended school, but had no routine. He would stay up with his mother, even if it was until the wee hours of the morning. Quote, He was very sad not to go to school because it was like he was even more lost in this invisible world where no one cared about him. He was utterly unsupported and uncared for to an extent that is unimaginable. End quote. On the weekend of February 23rd, 2013, Barbara had Ryan at her house for the weekend, but that he wasn't really himself and he slept a lot. Barbara says that Ryan had a bit of a meltdown and didn't want to go back to his mother's on the Sunday night. She describes him as being distraught. The following week, Barbara asked if she could keep Ryan for the weekend of March 1st, but Tamara said Ryan had a cold and couldn't come. On the evening of March 2nd, Tamara called 911. Okay, ma'am, like I said, the ambulance is on the way, okay? I just need you to help me answer these questions, okay? 
Has he had more than one seizure in a row? No, this is the first one. Okay, is he diabetic? No. Okay, is he an epileptic or ever had a seizure before? No. Okay, has the jerking stopped yet? Yes. Okay, is he breathing right now? Ma'am? I'm trying to determine. Okay. No. Okay, is there a defibrillator available? No. Okay, so like I said, I'm sending the paramedics to help you now. Just stand the line and I'll tell you exactly what to do next, okay? Are you right by him now? Ryan? Ryan? Ma'am, I need you to listen carefully, okay? Are you right by him now? Yes, I'm right with him right now. Okay, so listen carefully. Lay him flat on his back on the ground and remove any pillows. Okay. Kneel next to him and look in the mouth for food or vomit. Is there anything in the mouth? No. Okay, so... Yes, yes, yes. There is something in the mouth? Yes. Okay, so turn his head to the side and clean out his mouth and nose. It's okay to have a little fluid remaining, so I need you to do that now and tell me when it's done. Okay, that's done. Okay, now place your one hand on his forehead, yes. your other hand under his neck, okay. then carefully tilt the head back. I need you next to put your ear next to his mouth. Yep. Can you feel it? Pardon me? I cleared it. Okay, can you feel or hear any breathing? Not yet. Okay, I'm going to tell you how to give mouth to mouth. I'm doing that right now. With his head carefully tilted back, pinch Ma'am, I need you to listen carefully here, okay? Pinch his nose closed and completely cover his mouth with your mouth. Then blow two regular breaths into the lungs, about one second each. Just enough to make the chest rise with each breath. <laughs> Covered in Do you understand me so far? I do. Okay, did you feel the air going in and out? Yes. Okay, so listen carefully and I'll tell you how to do chest compression. So make sure he's flat on his back on the ground. Place the heel of your hand on the breastbone in the center of his chest, right between the nipples. Okay, push down one and a half inches with only the heel of one hand touching the chest. Pump the chest hard and fast 30 times, at least twice per second. Let the chest come all the way up between pumps. Tell me when you're done. I'm gonna count with you, okay? I want you to count out loud. One, two, three. Four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. Okay, ma'am, have you done that so far? Hello? Hello. Do you understand me so far? Hello? Ma'am? He's vomiting? No, I'm pouring out of vomit. So I need you to turn his head to the side and clean out his mouth and nose. Ma'am, the ambulance is well on the way, okay? I need you to tell me exactly what's happening right there. Has he stopped vomiting? Ma'am, do we buzz one to get into the building? Hello? Hello? Ma'am, does the ambulance buzz one to get into the building? Hello? Hello, ma'am, can you hear me? Hello? Ma'am, can you hear me? What is the buzz code to get into your building? Hello, ma'am, can you hear me? Can you answer what the buzz code is to get into your building? The paramedics are here. I know, I brought somebody in. The door's open. He's breathing now? And you clean out his mouth and nose? Ma'am, can you tell me exactly what you see or hear him doing? Not breathing. He stopped breathing? Yeah. Okay, so can you turn his head to the side and clean out his mouth and nose? Yes, I've been doing that. Okay, so I need you to do that now and tell me when that's done. The paramedics are going to be there shortly, but I need you to focus on him right now, okay? So from now on, I need you to give him two breaths, then 30 pumps. Two breaths, then 30 pumps. I need you to keep doing that until help can take over, okay? Ma'am, do you understand me so far? The paramedics are there? Yeah. Okay, I'll let you go and speak with them then, okay? Oh, baby. Hurry up. 
Sorry, I know a lot of you don't like 911 calls, but I had to play the whole thing to give you a sense of what was happening. When EMS arrived at Tamara's apartment, what they found was shocking to them. Ryan's lifeless body was laying in a puddle of vomit on the floor in a cramped, messy, and cluttered hallway. One of the paramedics testified that he was cold to the touch and that he appeared emaciated and with a deformed shoulder and arm and some bruising about the ears. The paramedics called ahead to the hospital to let them know that they were coming in and that Ryan was unconscious, in cardiac arrest, had no pulse, and was not breathing. Paramedic Teresa Coulter, who was the first one on scene, described a very, very difficult environment to work in because of the darkness and the clutter. A code 99, which is a call for backup, was enacted because Coulter testified Ryan's condition was lifeless and needing all interventions. Another paramedic, Craig Nickel, testified that the mother was frantic. I was essentially expecting him to be dead, said Dr. Jennifer Manello, a pediatric emergency doctor who was waiting for his arrival. When he did arrive, doctors and nurses at the Alberta Children's Hospital tried to revive him for 14 minutes. Dr. DeMello declared him dead at 5.54 a.m. So what the heck happened? How does a healthy and vibrant young boy go from slight cold symptoms to dead in a week? The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, Barbara LaPointe came on March 1st to bring some groceries to them. And at the time, Tamara wasn't home and a neighbor was babysitting. Barbara didn't have good things to say about Tamara's neighbors either, saying that people in the building were jobless, they had bed bugs, and they were on drugs. One of them in particular, likely a man living next door named Frank Kelly, she referred to as being cruel and abusive to both Tamara and Ryan. He had actually been quoted by the media as saying, I was pissed off at Tamara for being over-nurturing and over-caring. Ryan, he never had anything. He never felt he had a home. His mother is the only thing he had, so it's no surprise that he was clinging to her. He later testified in court that he believed Ryan had been faking being sick. 
Barbara went into the bedroom to see Ryan and was appalled and very worried. She said, quote, he was in a state of supreme suffering. Ryan was emaciated and in a lot of pain. Ryan told Barbara that he had been in bed and had not eaten since she dropped him off a week earlier. Ryan said that he wanted to go to her house, but she had to tell him that he couldn't because his mother had already said no. At one point, Ryan's eyes rolled back in his head. Barbara said, I had a horrific feeling come over me. I thought, my God, I think Ryan's going to die. At that moment, Tamara came home and Barbara implored her to get him to a doctor. But Tamara insisted that all he needed was some dandelion tea and some oil of oregano. But rather than deal with the situation more aggressively and feeling that Tamara was the mum, she left, promising to return the next day. Now, not to be judgy, but I would hope that in the same situation, I would say, screw the friendship if you're mad at me. I'm calling an ambulance. But I wasn't there, and I don't know all the circumstances of Barbara's life. But still, it's my podcast, so I can be judgy if I want to. So Tamara was brought in for questioning by Staff Sergeant Sean Gertson, to whom she told she thought that he had a cold or a flu and was treating with different teas. Cold and flu, um, traditional medicine teas, and then uh, uh, dandelion. Just a couple of days before he died, he was complaining of pain in his leg. His eyes had become jaundiced, and he couldn't stand on his own. Should have just listened to my instinct, put him in the car and drove instead of waiting. I should have just listened to my instinct. Later in the interview, Tamara said that he started complaining of an earache. I just figured he had water in his ear. I just treated that with hot compress, olive oil, garlic, cotton balls. I never thought he had anything I couldn't treat. I never expected him to do anything but get better. I failed. I failed because I didn't know. Earlier yesterday, when he presented with the yellow jaundiced eyes, that was like, okay, if this starts to escalate, you've got to think about taking him to the hospital. That was the first time it entered into my mind in terms of having to do that. Like you may have to just take him to the hospital to deal with this. During the investigation, detectives discovered online searches going back as early as February 6th for words like swollen, growing lymph nodes and children. The online searches continued and got more concerning right up until the day before Ryan died, when Tamara searched for things like jaundice, growing lymph pain in children, and dandelion jaundice alternative treatments. Tamara also testified later that when Ryan was sick and complaining about the pain in his groin, he still wasn't that sick. Quote, he wasn't bed, bedridden, end quote. Later at the trial, the judge heard testimony that Ryan was actually already dead when Tamara dialed 911. The autopsy revealed Ryan had first developed a streptococcus infection before coming down with meningitis infecting the membrane of his brain and pneumonia. Ryan's small body was full of group A streptococcus, which caused multiple organ failure. According to Dr. Elizabeth Brooks Lim, who did the autopsy, quote, every organ in the body was starting to fail. The major organs all showed signs of an infection of the blood, 
and as a result of this infection, the organs that normally produce the immune response of the body appeared exhausted from having to counter an infection. There was no evidence of Tylenol or Advil in his body. Ryan's condition deteriorated for 10 days and would have, he would have experienced a lot of pain and slurred speech. This is not something that occurred in minutes or hours. It was my opinion that this child died from an overwhelming sepsis due to a group A streptococcus and parainfluenza virus infection. Now, my understanding is that this is not like strep throat, which is common in kids. It's actually the flesh-eating strep, the one that causes the infection to travel through the blood. Tamara later testified and said that, quote, I just thought I was dealing with the cold and flu. I didn't realize where he was at in what is now on the autopsy report, end quote. After an eight-month investigation, Tamara was charged with failing to provide the necessaries of life and with criminal negligence causing death. In his last two weeks of his life, Ryan had lost nearly 10 pounds, which according to prosecutors should on its own have been concerning enough to take him to a doctor. Whereas Tamara's defense lawyer, Alan Hepner, said his health declined very rapidly and until his death just appeared to have a simple flu. A number of community members and friends came to Tamara's defense. Her friend Paul Hughes said, quote, I was really disturbed by some of the things I heard people say about her as a mother, and I knew completely differently. She's a loving mother and was a loving mother and a parent's worst nightmare happened to her. Her community has rallied around her. We love her. She's got her own life sentence. No one's suffered more than her. She's already suffered. She's gone to hell and back. Justice Christine Edzvik presided over the case and said that the legal issue isn't whether Lovett was an attentive or loving mother, but whether a reasonable person would have called a doctor. She said to Tamara, I'm sorry for your loss. One way or another, it's very sad. As usual, the prosecutor, Jonathan Hack, had some very different opinions about Tamara's standard of care than did Alan Hepner for the defense. Hepner argued that Tamara was a loving mother whose belief system had her doing everything she could for Ryan until it was too late. Whereas Hack said that Tamara was wholly to blame for Ryan's death. Her best was woefully inadequate. Quote, the defendant's failure to obtain medical care for Ryan directly caused his death. It was cruel and morally unforgivable, but more importantly, legally unforgivable. This case is not about whether alternative remedies are good or bad, nor is it about the defendant's views of Western medicine. This case is squarely about the defendant's lack of adequate care for Ryan, which led directly to his death. Ryan suffered greatly and needlessly as his life came to a close. The defendant surely loved her son, but what kind of love puts her skewed beliefs ahead of her best interests of her child? The elevation of Ryan's illness became so acute in the three or four days before his death that anyone, reasonable or not, would have realized this child, this child needed medical care and that's what clearly put uh, this case over the edge once she did nothing when all of those really serious death-defying symptoms occurred. Hepner said, Probably many of us would have called earlier, but her belief system was such that she made every effort. We heard about the oil of oregano, 
We heard about the tea tree oil. We heard about potato poultice. She believed in the remedies. She was wrong. Her judgment was wrong, and as such, she waited to call the doctor. But that doesn't raise the conduct to criminal standard. Hepner argued that Tamara didn't mean for Ryan to suffer any harm. She did not abandon this child. I would say that we do not punish the morally innocent, and I would respectfully submit that's where Tamara Lovett's conduct lies. She already lost her son, and now she's facing, she's reliving the event, and properly so in terms of the uh, charges being laid, but we have to deal with it, and we have to deal with the sentencing issue, and then we'll keep evaluating as we go on. The prosecution asked for five years. Now, Ryan died in 2013, but the trial didn't happen until 2016. During this time, Tamara was out and about. In Canada, in the summer of 2016, the Supreme Court stayed drug charges against Barrett Richard Jordan after he waited 49 months for a trial, leading to a revamping of the court system and putting timelines on trial times. This became known as Jordan's Law which left a few trials that were happening at this time to have some sentences stayed due to longer than the 30-month timeline between arrest and trial. So defense lawyer Hepner applied for a stay under Jordan's law. Justice Edsvik said, What's up in Canada that this issue comes up over and over that we can't seem to have reasonably timed trials in Canada? She added, Alberta is probably one of the worst provinces in terms of timing. However, in the end, there was flexibility allowed under this new transition to Jordan's law. So Tamara's case was not considered under the law, and she was sentenced to three years. Justice Edsvik said in her sentencing decision that it wasn't Lovett's fault that her son got sick, but she had several days to get him proper medical care. Quote, Ryan suffered terribly from this inaction. He died an excruciating, unnecessary death. Her failure to bring him to a medical doctor caused his death, but added that her remorse, I believe, is genuine. However, she did not feel confident that Tamara had actually had a sincere change in her beliefs and skepticism of the medical system. At the hearing, Tamara gave the following statement. Every day I punish myself. I think about Ryan and I blame myself for not knowing better and for holding limiting beliefs that ultimately led to the death of my child. At the time, I thought I was doing the best for my child, and although I have lost faith in myself and can't begin to forgive myself, I hope others learn from my ignorance because these beliefs are no longer entrenched in my psyche and that this has been a painful lesson. Every moment of every day is a reminder of what I've lost. I loved my children, and as a single mother can attest, I wanted the best for them. I believed I was doing what was the best at the time. I now know better. Forgive me for my ignorance. It has cost me a loving son, and there is a pain which will last forever. And at the end of the day, it's all about Ryan. It's not about me. I am so sorry. In June 2018, she applied for parole. Tamara told the board that she was on a spiritual journey and was working with a psychologist and was re-establishing a relationship with her surviving son. The board agreed that there were no issues while she was on bail and while she was in the minimum security prison or during the 30 escorted temporary absences that she'd been granted by that time. 
but the board felt that granting full parole would be premature, stating, quote, While the board recognizes the progress you have made, the board notes that your changes are recent, as is your accountability, end quote. So instead, they granted her day parole for six months in a community residential facility and conditions that she cannot care for any children under 18 or any otherwise vulnerable person. She must also continue to attend her psychological counseling to address her grief and loss, as well as her mental health. In March 2019, she was granted full parole, although the board found that her views on traditional medicine still are not in line with the majority of society. She told the board that, quote, I had no idea that was going to be the outcome. I was just chasing symptoms at that time. If I could go back and do it all over again, I wouldn't be here. There's nothing I can say, nothing I can do that will bring him back. She also told the board that she had given up her new age lifestyle and has become a Christian. Tamara Lovett is now 52 and a free woman. The CBC talked to Tim Caulfield, who is a University of Alberta professor and a chairman of the Canadian Research Chair, dealing in health law and policy. And he was asked about this case and his thoughts on when to stop alternative treatments and seek care and what the law should do in these cases. And he said that drawing a line is going to be tough. I think that's one of the big, broader issues that this kind of case creates. Our society has become quite tolerant of this pseudoscience. We're studying this right now. There are clinics across Alberta and BC that advertise the use of these therapies and claim that they're effective. Here in Alberta, homeopathy is one of the most common remedies provided by a naturopath. There's advertising on websites that suggest that it's an effective form of vaccination, for example, which is absurd and dangerous. There's confused messaging out there. But then we have to consider why parents might be attracted to these kinds of therapies. What are they missing from conventional practitioners? What philosophy draws them to it? I think we need to be open to exploring what's going on there. If she was not providing the necessaries of life, that is an infringement of the criminal code, just as if she had done something else, like not feeding her child or not hydrating her child, for example. It's not like this happens a lot. In general, the courts defer to parental judgment. But in extreme cases, they feel like they must move forward with the prosecution. But when you're talking about the kind of stuff that was done here, this stuff couldn't have worked. It's absurd. And so I hope that at least sends up a flag. Parents should be very cautious when they're thinking about using these alternative treatments to treat serious disease. And I think that pretty much sums up my feelings on this case. I have no issue with alternative therapies. I've taken echinacea oil of oregano myself. My doctor also tells me to take a probiotic or hot lemon tea for a sore throat. But when it comes to children, there's a higher duty of care, and that includes good medical advice. I do definitely agree that your doctor shouldn't always be your first stop. Lots of things with kids can be treated with over-the-counter products and a good diet and good old-fashioned home remedies. And yes, sometimes doctors will treat symptoms with meds and then the side effects of those meds with more drugs. But when your kid looks sick and is having trouble functioning, a doctor is your best bet. Do I think three years is fair? I don't think she murdered her child. There was no ill intent. I agree with her defense lawyer that she is serving a life sentence for her mistake. And she's 52 now, so not likely to have any more children. 
I think what's done is done, and the case is just a very sad reminder that sometimes as parents, we're all just doing what we think is best. Sometimes we're right, and sometimes we're not. I think we all need to have the choices to parent our kids as we see fit. But we need to understand that with choice comes consequences. Rights come with responsibilities. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And that was the sad and unnecessary death of Ryan Lovett. Join me again next week for another case. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.